On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about funerals. Yeah, something I I realized we had never, ever dealt with funerals and some details pertaining to funerals. We're going to sort of use that as our jumping off place tonight. But we'll get into some questions, some other questions relative to death and what's beyond the grave. All right. Uh, going to be a killer program tonight. Don't worry, we're back right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the uh-huh. virtual bible study and we welcome you to the virtual bible study for thursday may 27th 2021 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight kyle's behind the controls kyle welcome it's good to be here. Glad that you're here. And we're glad that you're listening tonight. We want to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com or in the chat window to the bottom of your video feed tonight. Join in in any of those ways and help make the program better when you share your thoughts with us and with the World Wide Web. So we're going to talk about something tonight that really is a, a something that, all humans have in common, that is the anticipation of death. Okay. Uh, There's going to be a generation of people who will not face death when the Lord returns. But beyond that, all people have this in common. Kind of amazing. This is a worldwide phenomenon. This This is something that all humans share in common, and that is the anticipation of death. And so I think it's probably um, understandable that People have some questions, and and one of the big questions, and we'll talk about this as we get later in our study tonight. What's going to happen when I die? You know, there's a, there's a big unknown there. There's this, this, this sort of sort of this, you know, and all kind of analogies have been used. You know, uh, crossing over the river, different things like that. What what will it be like? Uh, you know, on the other side, so to speak. And uh, we don't have all the information, but we've got some interesting information that God has revealed in his word, and we'll, we'll try to talk about that. All right. But to, 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 let me read the questions we sent out to our uh, update list earlier today. We always tell you, get on our update list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and just say, put me on the list, and we'll, we'll do it. To our update list earlier today, we sent these questions. Number one, must we have a funeral? Uh, and why would we choose to have a funeral? Okay. Number two, what would you say about a funeral sermon that preaches someone right into heaven? You ever you ever go to a funeral and the preacher just seemed like he was so sure the guy was in heaven? Yeah, I've, I've heard that. Uh, number three, is it right or wrong to cremate a body? Uh, and sort of a follow-up to that, what will happen to those lost at sea, devoured by beasts, and so forth? What if there's no body? There's no body oh, <laughs> this body has no body i got it okay <laughs> uh what, what about that okay number four what about suicide is it the unpardonable sin okay what about doctor assisted suicide and would it ever be right to decline medical treatment or options to extend life okay and then finally where are the dead 
And what's the difference between Hades and hell? That's, I think that's an important question to deal with because our, our English translations, especially the King James Version that I, that I use almost exclusively, really does a bad job on, on hell and Hades. Okay. And so we'll talk about that. All right. Well, hopefully tonight's program won't uh, get you to the funeral home any faster. I don't kill you, but uh, it ought to be a good discussion tonight. So first question, these are just, these are just uh, some, some general observations. Do you have to have a funeral? And I think everybody realizes you don't have to have a funeral. Uh, that, that's sort of a societal determination. What's the norm? You know, and even even if it is a, a norm in society where you live, that doesn't mean that you would have to follow that norm. You wouldn't be sinning or doing something horribly wrong if you decided that in your particular case, your family's particular case, that it'd be better to not have a funeral in this in this instance. That's that's all a matter of discretion. There's nothing in the scriptures that would indicate that you have to have a funeral. Um uh, you know, you know, even in Bible times, in Bible times, th- there were various societal influences as to what they did with dead people. Certainly, I don't think they had funerals like we have today at any point in Bible history. It's societally determined. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Kent in uh, Calhoun, Georgia, responded with good feedback to this tonight. He said, no, the New Testament does not mandate a funeral or a memorial service. However, there is generic authority for such as optional activity. He references Acts 8, verses 1 and 2. When uh, when uh, Stephen had been stoned, it said in verse 2, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. So Kent's saying, well, that, that sort of sounds like a funeral to him. Yeah, I, I, I was as, as you were reading that, and I appreciate Kent uh, opening our eyes to that, I was thinking about the case of uh, Dorcas in Acts chapter 9, there was at Joppa, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 36, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is by interpretation called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed and laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lydda was close to Joppa, the disciples, they heard that Peter was there. They sent to him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. And Peter rose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. Of course, you know, the story goes on. Peter raises her from the dead. Uh, But it seems there that they were doing something, some sort of a, oh, well, We'd almost have to categorize that as a funeral uh, sort of a thing. They were marking her her life. They were observing her death. Yeah, you know, and so people today might have you know the slideshow going on this on the TV screen there. They were just passing around the coats and things that she had made. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, I, this woman, this is off the off the top. But don't you envision her just sort of being one of those quiet women that was probably unnoticed in in, in the church there? She she was just doing good deeds. Greatly loved, obviously. Greatly loved. She yeah. wasn't a showboat, I think. Yeah. She was just doing what she could. Um, okay, so he says he says it's just a, we have an option to do that. He says, as a matter of personal judgment, there is some benefit in assisting family members and close friends in working through the grief process by having funeral and or memorial services. While such is not the work or responsibility of the local church, such does come over the purview of 
individual liberty. So it says there might be some benefit. It might be wise judgment. Yeah. So we don't. Uh, I think the first answer is super easy. Must we have a funeral? No. But why would we choose to have a funeral? And I think Kent is exactly right. Uh, the, the re- typically, the reason we do that is it's for us. It's been determined that this is sort of the grief process, you know, dealing with the reality that a loved one has died and, and you go through that process of accepting that reality. And, and typically we talk about funerals in that vein. Whenever I'm called upon to preach a funeral, uh, you know, people often ask me, uh, do you like to preach funerals or weddings? I'd actually much prefer to preach a funeral than a wedding. My idea is that at a wedding, the preacher is just a sort of a, a necessary appurtenance. Formality? Uh, yeah, formality. Mm. They're not going to listen to much you say at a wedding. But at a funeral, maybe. You, you know, people, at least people, the, the door is cracked open for people yeah. to consider some spiritual considerations. So, yeah, I'd rather preach a funeral. I don't enjoy either one particularly, but given the option, I'd choose a funeral over a wedding any day. Can you put his cell phone number over the video there, Kyle, so if anybody needs <laughs> yeah. a funeral? You know, no I, weddings, but funerals. I, I've known preachers that actually sort of register with the local funeral home so that people come in and they don't have a, their, their own preacher. He, he gets called. That would be a good opportunity to evangelize, maybe. I don't know. I think the guy, the, the, the ones who do that do that because they make a little money doing it. Oh, well, but, but you got to think. Uh, you know, maybe there's a room full of folks that need the gospel there. If they don't have some connection there, they obviously need it. But you know that when I am called upon to preach a funeral, one of the things I always, almost always try to say is what we're doing here today is not for this dead person. It's not going to change anything about what's happened for this dead person. Yeah. Uh, you know, Second Corinthians five verse ten says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. So you're gonna you're gonna be judged based upon what you've done in the body. When you're dead, that's a finished deal. The, that storyline is concluded, and so. After you're dead, no matter what anybody says or does, not going to affect your eternal destiny. I think that's important to note in regards to funerals, uh, because you know uh, I think maybe some people have some some mistaken expectations about what a funeral can and should do. You know, some religious groups have the idea that we can affect the eternal destiny of the dead person. Uh, for instance, the Mormons baptize for the dead. So if you if you knew someone who had never really been saved, you might go through a process and be baptized for them so that they could be saved in eternity. Or the Catholics have the notion of purgatory. Maybe a yeah. person wasn't really good enough to go to heaven, but maybe by virtue of extra prayers or contributions that people will make in his behalf, he can sort of be bumped up from purgatory into heaven. None of that is biblical. Yeah, exactly. Crazy thoughts. Uh, we, and that's where we go when we don't have Bible authority for what we believe in practice. Here's yeah. what Dwight in Iowa says. A funeral is not a must, but a tradition of men and is used as a custom for closure for family and friends. It helps the grieving for the loved ones as well. Funerals have been in existence for 1,000 years. It is not mandatory by law or the, of the land or by the, God's law. He says so funerals have been in existence for a thousand years. Thanks, uh, Dwight. There's some that. history there. Dwight did a little history study for yeah, us. Yeah, digging deep, thank you, so to thank speak. Um, Maybe six feet deep. 
So let me add this next point in, and, and, and we'll talk about this before our break. What about a funeral where the preacher, as they say, preached the guy right into heaven? Uh, so the preacher gets up, and he speaks in such flowery, uh, emotional terms relative to the dead person in the, ca- in the casket you know, I, I I have sometimes been at a funeral when I kind of strained and looked. Is is this the same guy I knew? Is he is he talking about the same person that I knew? You thought you were in the wrong room. <laughs> so maybe I was in the wrong room. Mm. You know, because at a funeral everything is just you know perfect and all is good. And this person, how often do you hear the expression, "He's in a better place"? You know, all of that is presumptuous. We don't know what the eternal state of a person is. We are not the final judge. God is, and we are not, in, we're not ever in, in a position to be able to say with certainty that this person is, is in a better place, maybe in a much worse place. You know, maybe they suffered before they died. Now they may be suffering way worse than that if, they're, if they were not in a right relationship with God. But we don't know the hearts of men. We can't judge the hearts of men. The best that we can say, if if a, if a Christian dies and 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 our impression of them is that they had lived a really good life, I think the best that we can say is we have hope and it's a comfort at a, at a time of loss. But we cannot speak with certainty about the eternal destiny of any person. And so I'm I'm always and, and I, I think. Preachers uh, in, in the Lord's Church are usually pretty careful about that. But in recent years, I've been to some funerals where I thought the preacher was out of line in speaking with such glowing certainty that this person was going to be in heaven in eternity. You just can't say that. Well, here's what Kent said. He says, John seven twenty four instructs us to judge or draw conclusions based upon divine truth. We must draw conclusions regarding the issues of life based upon New Testament teaching. However, final judgment regarding the eternal destiny of individuals belongs exclusively to Christ, John 5, verse 22. What one may say or not say at a funeral service will have no bearing at all on the final outcome of the one who is deceased. Christ, the final judge, will, because of his perfect attributes and righteous omniscience, make the ultimate righteous judgment. All we can do is present the truths of God to others in making needed preparation for eternity by obeying the gospel of Christ and living faithful by devotedly following the New Testament. And Dwight says this is a common practice at many funerals, and the problem is when we preach someone into heaven, especially if the audience knows the deceased and how they lived a worldly lifestyle, this gives people the impression you can live as you please with no consequences. Also, people say you shouldn't judge others. Well, is not preaching someone into heaven judging them? Yeah, that's that's a good observation, Dwight. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think you're right. Okay. But again, you know, that's what typically happens is, you know, this guy may have been a pretty bad person. Yeah. But isn't it interesting, by the way, people who don't have any use for God, worshiping God, attending religious worship services, they they want a preacher two times at least. They want a preacher when they get married, and they want a preacher when they get buried. Why? If 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 and no other time in your life that it, it is of any interest or value to you, why bother? Yeah. You know, that, that's always been a kind of a curiosity to me. I thought I had here's a kind of kind of an interesting uh, anecdote of of this sort. 
This was this was said of Franklin Camp. I don't know if how many of our listeners will remember the name Franklin Camp. He he's long since dead. He was a preacher of a previous generation. Uh, uh, I never knew him, uh, but a lot of people who did thought that he was a really good man and an excellent preacher. Uh, he was called upon to conduct the funeral of a brother who was anything but faithful. He struggled to know what to say according to his own testimony. In other words, Franklin Camp himself said, I'm not sure what to say about this guy. This is what he said as kindly as he could regarding the deceased gentleman. I get this. He was a member of the church but was careless in attendance. He was a member of the church but he did not think Bible study was important, so he never came. He was a member of the church but he never gave as he was prospered. His funeral is being conducted in this church building paid for by others. He was a member of the church but no one gathered here today. But no one gathered here today has he taught the truth. He has now gone to judgment to meet his God. All uh, he can say to God is, I was a member of the church. All I can say about him is, he was a member of the church. Wow. So he he said that as people filed out of the church building, Franklin Kemp said he heard an irate person's comment. He preached him straight into hell. And uh, and the one who wrote this article said, no, he really didn't. By that time, the brother was already at his uh, destination, and the funeral comments had nothing to do with that. Wow! So, so this is uh, the opposite. You, you, you never. I mean, I've never heard a preacher do that. You always hear this flowery, excellent. He's wonderful. He's in a better place, kind of thing. When the reality is probably more like this. He didn't sugarcoat it. No. Uh, when we get back from the break, uh, we'll go on with the discussion. Brian's got to comment in the chat room, and then you want to talk about cremation. Yeah, we want to talk about cre- Hey, I've got I've got a bonus question, and I want to take a poll, a survey in the chat room. Okay, here we go. the The question is: Would it be appropriate, or proper, or authorized to have a funeral in a church building? That anecdote that we just read from Franklin Camp talked about him having a a funeral in the church building. That used to be pretty standard practice. You know, you, the body would be prepared at the funeral home, but the funeral home people would bring the the casket to the church building and the funeral service would typically be conducted at the church building. We really, really have gotten away from that. Would it be appropriate to do that? Was it right or wrong when people did do it? What do you think? Can you have a funeral in a church building? Bonus question. Okay. All right, let's get a break and uh, we'll get Brian's comment on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Here's a quick thought. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessings are promised if you'll trust in the Lord. In these uncertain times, it's good to remember something that's certain. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Put your trust in Him and be blessed. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Any foolish man can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most do. Even when you have pains, you don't have to be one. I've learned that I still have a lot to learn. Man, wish I'd said that. 
Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Back on the program tonight, talking about funerals. And uh, Brian in the chat room asked the question, Is Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He's referencing Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 there. Is this statement regarding his never having to die again, as opposed to those who were resurrected, did indeed die again, more in the clinical sense perhaps, or is it to a great degree speaking to his preeminence among all mankind? Mm. Uh, I've heard it explained both ways, Brian, and, and and I think both things are true, so I don't know that it would be absolutely necessary to take a position on that. I think it is true that concerning those who were raised from the dead, he's not the first, he, he's not the only person who was ever raised from the dead. We just read about Dorcas. Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. That was after Christ, though, so that wouldn't yeah. necessarily negate this statement. Right, right. But you can think of others uh, in the yeah. Old Testament. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the widows, are the, uh, widows of Zarephath. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so there, there were others raised from the dead. Uh but Jesus is unique in that he was raised never to die again. All those who were raised from the dead ultimately did. Lazarus was raised from the dead, dead go, by Jesus himself, yeah. but he later would die again. So I think you could explain it. The firstborn from the dead is that he would never die again. But certainly that that notion, firstborn, does denote and always has, all the way back to Old Testament times, very early Old Testament times, the firstborn was the preeminent one in the family and so i think probably it has that connotation as well yeah in fact he goes on in verse 18 there to say the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence so he has that spot of the firstborn now whether you want to take it that he was the firstborn never to first from the dead never to die again or that he's just the preeminent and therefore he has the position of the first one firstborn um i think the answer there is that he he is preeminent and that's the focus of, of of the verse. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dwight and Michelle in the chat room said, I was at a funeral at the preacher preach the deceased into heaven. I asked him how he could do that, being this guy never even went to church and lived ungodly. He gave me no answer. Yeah. There's no answer to be given. That's well, the reason at least why he didn't, didn't, yeah. he, he didn't make that part up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. All right. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about death matters. I, I, I sort of use the... Uh, the the phrase funeral questions in our title just sort of as a catch-all these are more questions about death and dying what about cremation what about what do we do with the body uh uh you know we we are we are inclined to embalm a body uh i talked to an embalmer one time and and i said when you have finished your embalming work uh how long can the body be out in the in the open air before before you have to really bury the body? He said, mm, maybe a year. A year. Yeah. So that's how thoroughly the body is changed through the embalming wow. process. I actually watched part of that process, and it's very invasive. Uh, but those embalming fluids are pumped into every aspect of the body, all the vital internal organs and everything. The Egyptians of course, were notably historically the first to engage in embalming practices. And, and you know, they, they bring those mummies out of, out of the Egyptian tombs to this day. They're still preserved. Um, but, again, that, that was very invasive. I, I, I understand that when they embalmed, they actually cut the body open and took the internal organs out and preserved them you know, in separate vessels. Uh, but... That wasn't typical in Bible times. Joseph was embalmed. Joseph was embalmed. But before that, 
And I think probably after that, most of the people we read about in the Old Testament were buried really quickly because a human body begins to decompose rapidly after death. And, you know, uh, when when Jesus was called to the scene, when Lazarus had died, you know, they'd already buried him before Jesus and the apostles got there. And he said, open the tomb. And they said, he's by now he stinks. You know, and and he would, a a body would in in just short order. So I think even today among Jews who do not practice embalming, the the person is buried within 24 hours of death for those reasons. So it's just a lot of different practices as to what do you do with the body. Uh, You know, I, I think we take some things for granted. Have you ever asked the question, do you think it'd be appropriate to embalm a dead person? Well, nobody asked that question, but ask this question that we ask, what about cremation? And people have a lot of opinions about that. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. So I, I just want to make the point that, you know, cremation maybe seems like it's an extreme treatment of the body. I'm tell you, embalming is too. Uh, for anybody who ever wants to study how embalming is done, it's pretty gross. And one doesn't one doesn't prove the other though. Right, so, right. So we've but, got to but get I'm to just saying it's interesting that we have some norm. This all speaks right. to what's normal to us. Right. Uh, but would it, could you say from the Bible that it's wrong to cremate? What are what do our emailers say? Here's what Kent says: The New Testament does not legislate regarding the disposition of the bodies of those who are deceased. Personally, I do not like the concept of cremation. Perhaps my thoughts are based upon the historical evidence regarding the aspect of cremation being closely associated with that of paganism. However, my thinking is exclusively dealing with personal judgment. Those who after death were lost at sea, devoured by beast, or cremated will be given new resurrected bodies, 1 Corinthians 15, 35-38. Okay. Um, Here's what Dwight said. There is no scripture stating that one cannot be cremated. Our bodies will be changed into an immortal body in the end. It is not our physical body that goes to heaven or hell. It is our soul. Those lost at sea or devoured will be raised on that last day just as anyone else. Our body, whether decomposed naturally or burned or eaten, does not matter because with God, just as he created man, he will bring our souls back for judgment, 1 Corinthians 15. 52 and 53 in the in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be judged for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality okay so there you go there's your answer uh kent and dwight say not necessarily wrong hasn't been addressed in the new testament yeah here's an interesting take on this this is from a preacher uh frank himmel uh, and and he suggests a, a little hesitancy about cremation. And, and I just want to read this, uh, his observations. Uh, someone asked me recently, what does the Bible say about cremation? And the answer is not much. But he says, as far back as Abraham's day, Hebrews generally buried their dead. That might be in a grave as when Jacob buried Rachel on the way to Bethlehem uh, or in a cave such as Machpelah where Abraham purchased a burial site for his beloved Sarah. Uh, Ecclesiastes 6.3 includes a proper burial as a part of good life and also references Jeremiah 22, verse 18. The practice of burying among the Jews continued into the, t- into the New Testament era. Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb, hewn out of solid rock. Uh, money given to Judas to betray Jesus was used to purchase a potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Uh, 
Tacitus, the Roman historian, said of the Jews, quote, they are wont to bury rather than burn their dead. He linked that preference to Egyptian influence. However, the Greeks more often used cremation, and Romans employed both burial and cremation. There are exceptions, however. The men of Jabesh Gilead rescued the bodies of King Saul and his sons from the Philistines uh, and burned them. But that was likely to prevent any further defilement of them by the Philistines, for the rescuers then buried their bones. The law prescribed burning in specific cases of those caught in immorality, evidently to to disgrace the deceased, Luke 20, or Leviticus 20, 14 and 21, 9. God told Joshua to burn Achan and his family, quote, because he has committed a disgrace, a disgraceful thing in Israel, Joshua 7, 15. God himself used fire from heaven to consume certain rebels. Uh, these examples were exceptions for extraordinary offenses. Normally, even when one had committed a capital crime, he was still buried, Deuteronomy 21:22. In the case of Nadab and Abihu, divine fire killed them but did not consume their bodies. For many, this consistent association of burning bodies with utter contempt is difficult to dismiss. They insist on burial. Others note that these are Old Testament references and the gospel does not legislate at all regarding disposal of our bodies. Uh, so he says, since cremation holds no particular stigma in our society, these people are perfectly comfortable with it. And he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Romans 14, verse 5. So I get the idea from all of that. And it's kind of an interesting history of, of the Bible's reference to people who were burned. He says there's a pretty consistent association of burning bodies with contempt for those bodies, typically. Uh, and he says it's kind of hard to dismiss in his mind that that is the case. But he acknowledges the New Testament does not legislate on it. And I think we just kind of have to leave it at that, that, that we can't necessarily say it's wrong either. Yeah. And you have to, again, you've got to be persuaded in your own mind. But I, I cannot say with any biblical backing that God would hold a person accountable who was cremated or those who did the cremating it just does not seem to be addressed in the gospel well yeah and if it's beyond i mean if i didn't make the provision for it certainly i wouldn't be responsible for it yeah i mean somebody burns me after i'm dead well, that's on them not on me yeah uh you ask about the uh what will happen to those lost at sea well, let's, grab, Greece, our, let's grab our bullet point break when we come back if you were burned though have you set yourself up for a problem in the resurrection. You can't be raised as you're... What about people who were burned? burned what, what about people who whose bodies were lost at sea? They didn't get buried. And maybe when they were lost at sea, a big shark came and ate them up. Mm, not a baby or, shark. Or, or, or what about people who were, were devoured by wild beasts, you know, attacked or died in the wilderness and wild beasts consumed? There's no body. There's no body. What do you, what about that case? Yeah. Well, and what about? I mean, what if you're you get burned in a in a fire? Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, you know, car wreck or something like that. We're gonna get a break and get this week's bullet point and get your thoughts. And you still got that open poll question in the chat room. Got a couple yeah. respondents there. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. Don't forget our poll question. Do you think it's okay to have a funeral in a church building? All right. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. 
This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. One does not need to be an expert in every field of technical study in order to realize that the general theory of evolution is beset with a multitude of problems. The suggestion that the myriad of life forms on Earth today could have evolved by random natural processes just doesn't make sense. Even the simplest living thing, a single-celled organism, is so complex to be beyond the ability of scientists to understand, much less duplicate. Carl Sagan, the now-deceased professor, author, and evolutionary spokesman, once said, The information content of a simple cell has been established as around 10 to the 12th power bits, comparable to about 100 million pages of the Encyclopedia Britannica. We're supposed to believe that the first living cell, so many eons ago, not only wrote this incredibly complex code, but also evolved the ability to read and react to the code as well. And all of this had to have been in place at the precise instant when non-living chemicals mysteriously sprang to life. Who can believe it? Even Charles Darwin, the father of modern evolutionary thought, admitted these difficulties. In writing about the human eye, he said, quote, To suppose that the eye, with all of its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different amounts of light and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Darwin said, in effect, that his theory just didn't make sense, and he was right. Why is it that men have decided that it is more enlightened to believe in this obviously flawed theory than to believe in a living and all-powerful God? To put it simply, it makes sense to believe the Bible. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, and South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3, 17. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or see some of Kyle's handiwork in living color. Yeah. Uh, which we have, which I do have help, so it's uh, it's good. Uh, which putting out some good studies, it's a good accent to your Bible study. So check it out. Some good studies going on. College U live stream on YouTube. Yeah. All right. The, the, the uh, we're getting we're getting some. I'm, I'm I'm encouraged. We're getting some good feedback in the chat room on our poll question. Can you have a funeral in a church building? Keep keep that coming. There's a few. We've got a few. We, there's several more in the chat room who could join in on that question. Let us know what you think, and we'll try to cover that right at the end of the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, quickly. What, what's going to happen to bodies that are not preserved in some way, not buried? But you know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a oxymoron because the people who are buried and are also, their bodies are decomposing too. Sure. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it, your physical body is, you know, you're going to go back to the dust from which our bodies are made. Okay. And we're going to decompose. That's what happens to bodies. And so uh, if, if, it, if it decomposed more rapidly because it was consumed in a fire or, or it decomposed more rapidly because it was in the digestive system of a grizzly bear in, in Wyoming or, or uh, it, it decomposed because all of the little sea urchins ate it up when, when he fell overboard in the middle of the Atlantic. Your body's going to decompose. And so uh, we know that there's going to be a resurrection. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 28, 29, marvel not at this. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall come forth. 
they that have done good to the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. There's going to be a general resurrection. And and obviously, I mean, obviously, there's, it, there's going to, it's going to be a miraculous thing wherein the bodies of the dead are going to be reunited with their spirits. That's what a resurrection is. So those bodies are going to have to be reformulated. And the, and the spirit will join the body for the final judgment. Uh, there's going to be a resurrection. And, it, and what happens to that body before that happens will not hinder the resurrection from happening. Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, talking about the end time here, says, The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. That should be Hades in that passage. Yeah. But uh, the sea gives up the dead. So. I mean, so there's the ones lost at sea right there. Yeah, there's no body there, but uh, somehow. You know, interestingly, my grandmother, uh, uh, she, in her lifetime, it became the standard. I think that there may have been a state law passed where she lived that when you buried bodies in the ground, they had to be put in a sealed vault. Uh, that's that's common practice now these days. My grandmother was concerned that if her body was inside this sealed concrete vault. That when the Lord came and the resurrection call was made, she wouldn't be able to answer the call. Did they talk her out of that? No, she, no, she never she, got over that. Huh? Uh, no, no, she was worried about that until until she died. Uh, she was buried in a vault. It was, it was the law, but that's not going to. Nothing like that is going to keep bodies from being resurrected. Can you imagine? Yeah, no. All right, Kyle, you're okay in the vault. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a spiritual thing. It's nothing like our bodies are not going to be able to be trapped under a vault. So it's, yeah. yeah, so it's no fears there. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. So well, let's move quickly because uh, this this poll question, we're getting good feedback on that, and we want to have time to deal with that. Okay. Quickly, what about suicide? Is it the unpardonable sin? You know, the Bible uh, we, we talked about those who were burned, bodies who were burned, uh, being a, a Bible reference. There's actually some some significant Bible reference to people who committed suicide. Uh, Abimelech did, Samson did, King Saul did, Saul's armor bearer did, Ahithophel, who had sided with Absalom in the rebellion against David, did, Zimri did. Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, notably in the New Testament, did. Yeah. Uh, uh, so there were people who committed suicide. The question to be asked is, why would people commit suicide? Uh, and, you know, maybe you could give some different answers. Maybe they have a sad life and they feel like there's no hope. Actually, there is hope. And they can and they can have hope if they will turn to the Lord. Yep. Uh, some people commit suicide to escape the consequences of their own deeds, uh, but of course, ultimately, you can't escape the consequences of your own deeds because you're going to commit suicide, but you will still stand in judgment for the deeds that you did in the body. Uh, anxiety, worries about worldly affairs, uh, all kinds of things. People commit suicide. It's, it's the wrong answer. To the question of mortality, uh, so I, we would say people who commit suicide are making a mistake because that does not that does not address doesn't ultimately address anything, and it, it's a mistaken solution. It's a failed solution to other problems. 
Now, I'm interested to know what our what our listeners think. Is it the unpardonable sin? I've heard people say that it is <clears throat> because, obviously, you took your own life. The taking of life. Suicide is self-murder. Murder is a condemned sin throughout the scriptures. You murdered yourself. But here's the problem. No time to repent. Obviously, that was your last act and leaving no space or room for repentance. Therefore, you, you can't repent. You can't be forgiven. It is unpardonable in that way. I don't know what uh, I haven't even looked at our emailers to see what they said, but I, I, I'm I'm a, a little bit hesitant to make that determination because I, I'm convinced that at least some percentage of people who commit suicide are not, quote, in their right mind. That some people commit suicide who who may not be accountable for their decisions and their actions. And that being the case, I'm very comfortable leaving this in the hands of the eternal God to make okay. that judgment. Okay. Well, let's see what our listeners had to say. Kent said, those who are accountable and responsible individuals who commit suicide are guilty of sin. It seems to me that a more precisely worded statement would be that those guilty of such an action would be guilty of an unpardoned or unforgiven sin. If one committing such an act were to do so in an unaccountable or unresponsible condition, they would not be held accountable for this specific action. However, had they at a previous time uh, been an accountable individual before God, they would be required to give account for their previous life during their state of accountability. He references 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. All right. So I think Kent's right. I mean, I think we can just leave that in the hands of God. We don't have to make that determination. It's a sad thing. Whenever it happens, it's obviously a very sad situation. We're not in a position to know the heart of that individual. Let God decide. But the teaching that we should have is that suicide is wrong. Suicide is wrong. It's the, it, it it's, is self-murder, yeah. and it's, it, it doesn't solve anything. So we should teach people don't don't commit suicide, obviously. But I think we have to leave the door slightly cracked open that there some people who commit suicide are not accountable for their actions. Yeah, like your dear Aunt Lois who gets uh, dementia or something and she starts cursing all the time. Well, yeah. that's a, it would be a sin to use that language if she had been in her right mind, but Aunt Lois isn't responsible yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, here's what Dwight said. In a suicide case, I believe that it is murder. Whether you take someone's life or take your own, our lives are not ours to take. Now, I will say, I may not know the mental state of an individual who commits suicide, so I leave that up to God to judge their heart. Yeah. Now, as a follow-up to that, what about doctor-assisted suicide? We talked about this on a program a while back, and we interviewed, uh, you know, the preacher from uh, Jennings, Florida. I'm coming up short on his name, Jacob. Uh, Uh, Nick Wall? No, no, no. no, no. Wait, no, no. Uh, we uh, Derek Long. Derek Long, yeah. And he had a really good uh, up, uh, take on the idea of doctor-assisted suicide. Yeah. And it's murder. It's just murder. That, uh, yeah. I, I think we can. I, I think you can just leave the, the word suicide off there. It is doctor-conducted murder, yeah. and it's the taking of life, and it is not justified. And I think it is definitely wrong and sinful. That's what our listener said. Physician-assisted suicide is not authorized in the scriptures, therefore sinful. Reaching a condition in life where medical treatment and options are pointless and the decision is made to decline or terminate such is allowing nature to run its course and would not be sinful. The basic difference between physician-assisted suicide and declining or terminating medical options would be the difference between causing death to take place and allowing such to happen naturally. Yeah. And, and 
No, go ahead. Go, go ahead and get that. Uh, and uh, Dwight says, as for Dr. Sister Suicide, I would have to say we or the doctor are not at liberty to assist or take another's life. All right. Now, uh, Kent covered this, and I think there is a difference between declining medical treatment and committing suicide. Uh, so, uh, for instance, what's the difference if, if, let's say I've got terminal cancer and they tell me I've got six months to live. The doctor says, now we can, we can go into this very expensive regimen of chemotherapy and we can extend your life for maybe three to six months longer. It's going to cost $150,000 and you're going to be sick as a dog the whole time. Would I, would I be sinning to say, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm, I'm going to decline that. Yeah, I don't think that that's the same as committing suicide or doctor-assisted suicide. In the case of doctor-assisted suicide, the, the doctor who's committing the murder is actually injecting something into the body to cause death, right. whereas refusing treatment is just not putting anything in the body and letting nature follow its own course. Right. I think they're definitely different. It's not, it's not suicide to make the judgment that in the, and all we can do is make our best judgment based upon the information that's supplied to us. I don't think that it is suicide to say, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's a reasonable to even think about pursuing that course of treatment. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dwight said um, we are not committing suicide by refusing treatment options. We may have an incurable disease and choose to die naturally. One may have been through years of treatment. We had much discomfort to re- and to refuse treatments to maybe squeeze an extra week or, or month out of life when death is inevitable is not wrong. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think all we're right. all on the same page there. Let's take our break. When we come back real quickly, we want to talk about where are the dead and what's the difference between Hades and hell. And then we, we want to get our poll question. What about, can you have a funeral in a church? But we got, we got opposite views on that. I think that I think both sides of that question are represented in the chat room. We'll talk about it when we get we back. We've got four comments so far and time for yours as well. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist, but that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. 
The Southern Baptist Convention is the biggest Protestant denomination in the United States, accounting for 5.3% of the U.S. adult population. America's second largest Protestant group, the mainline United Methodist Church, accounts for 3.6% of U.S. adults. However, the total number of Southern Baptists in the U.S. and their share of the population is falling. According to the Southern Baptist Convention's official membership tally, there were 14.8 million members of all ages in 2018, down about 1% from the previous year, part of a longer pattern of decline. That information is via the Pew Research Center. The Word of God says in Luke 6, verse 46, And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour, talking about funerals. Time for you to get in the chat room if you want to submit your, your answer. You just do it yes or no. What about funerals in the church building? All right. Grant and Janie want to know about hospice. Hey, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, you know, I used to would have thought that hospice were suicide, doctor suicide people. I thought for the longest time, I thought hospice was just a group of people who hastened death and who provided medicines to cause people to die. Uh, I had a very negative view of hospice until uh, your grandmother, Jacob, my mother-in-law, has been on hospice for the last almost two full years. Uh, she's obviously in declining health, but they have been a, a, a wonderful blessing and service to us in taking care of her, uh, and they, they've done everything that they that, that could reasonably be expected to extend her life yeah. rather than to take her life. So, and other other people may have other experiences, but but our personal experience with hospice is that that is not. Uh, the same as doctor-assisted suicide. Now, they could be in, involved uh, in that. They, other other places, other people, other circumstances, maybe so, has, has not been our experience. Okay. All right. Uh, Brian. Okay, well, let's talk about the, your next question quickly because okay. we're going to run out of time. Okay. And then Real we'll get quickly, uh, and we may want to talk about this more because uh, I do want to get to our poll question, and we're going to have to hurry here. What happens to the dead? Where are the dead? The, when, when we die, we go to Hades, Hades is the realm of departed spirits. It's where the spirits, the, the biblical definition of death is when your spirit departs your body. Yeah. So your body, your spirit departs your body. Your body decomposes back to the elements from which it's made. Your spirit goes to Hades, yeah. the realm of departed spirits. In Hades, there are two parts. There's a place called paradise. That's where Jesus went when he died. Uh, he told the thief on the cross, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Yeah. Uh, in the very famous story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, there that place of comfort in Hades is called Abraham's bosom. Uh, Abraham was there and Lazarus was there with Abraham in a place of comfort. But there's another place in Hades, a place of torture and torment. That's where the rich man went. And Abraham said there's a great gulf fixed between the two places. You can't cross over. You can't go from one to the other. So you get the idea that Hades is a place, the realm of departed spirits. We said earlier, those spirits are going to be reunited with their bodies in the final resurrection. So those spirits are waiting in Hades for the resurrection time, wherein they will be reunited with their bodies, and then final judgment will take place. But Hades is the realm of departed spirits. The King James Version does a terrible job of translating Hades and very often uses the word hell. 
instead of Hades and it's wrong. And, and, you know, I love the King James version and it's what I use almost exclusively, but that's one of the real flaws of the King James version. Uh, for instance, in Acts chapter two, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, Acts chapter 2, verse 25, David speaketh concerning Jesus, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Yeah. Well, Jesus didn't go to hell. He went to Hades. He, he said that when he told the thief, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. So the King James Version translated that as hell, and it should have been Hades. Okay. So if you, if, you want a, if you want a quick breakdown on the words used, uh, the King James Version uses the word hell 23 times, but there are actually three different words in the Greek. Hades, which is the general abode of the spirits of the dead. The equivalent word in the Old Testament is the word sheol or pit. Uh-huh. When Hades, uh, within Hades, there's a place of punishment and a place of comfort. Uh, another word in the, in the scriptures is Tartarus. Uh, Tartarus, the word Tartarus is only found one time, uh, in the New Testament. That's second Peter chapter two, verse four. God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell or Tartarus where they are kept under punishment for the day of judgment. The new American standard version says so Tartarus found only once in the New Testament denotes an area of Hades in which evil men and rebellious angels are held in punishment awaiting the final judgment. Uh, and so Tartarus is that terrible or, or torturous part of okay. Hades. And, and, of course, it's going to end uh, in the final judgment. Uh, you read earlier Acts 20, verses 12 through 15, where Hades will give up the dead that are in it. Yep. And then the other word is Gehenna. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, Gehenna. Uh, this is, uh, the New Testament word, a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew expression, the Valley of Hinnom, and it's the final abode of the resurrected body and souls of the wicked. It's the eternal hell. Uh, and it, it's from the, the Greek word Gehenna. So again, you gotta be real, real sure that you make that distinction between Hades and, and hell. And again, sadly, the King James Version does a bad job on that. That uh, was a foot race. But uh, so where are the dead today? They're either, the, the dead today are in Hades. They in heaven? No, they're in Hades. They in hell? No, they're in Hades. Okay. All right. All right. Here's what Kent said. At death, all deceased individuals go to an intermediate state of consciousness to await the final judgment. The righteous ex- exist in a state of peace and conscious rest. The unrighteous exist in a conscious condition of misery and torment. The term Hades speaks with reference to the intermediate condition. The term hell speaks to with reference to that of eternal punishment following the final judgment. Exactly right. And Dwight says there is, uh, the dead are in Hades, the present abode of all departed spirits. Right. He references the rich man and Lazarus. He says, I believe Hades encompasses torment in paradise. They're, they, these are separated by a great gulf, as verse 26 of Luke 16 mentions. Torment on one side and paradise on the other. Hades is before the second coming of Jesus. Hell is the final place after judgment away from God in outer darkness in weeping or with weeping and gnashing of teeth. There you will be for all eternity if you're not found faithful to God. 
Good, good. Okay. So I think we got that. We could have spent more time on that. But yeah, that was a foot race. You, yeah. you, you packed it in there. Yeah. Okay. So real quickly, we ask a poll question. I think this is great. Uh, uh, can you have a, a funeral in a church building? And uh, as we said earlier, that used to be common practice and is not at all anymore. But could we do that? Uh, so I'm just going to read, Jacob, you can, you can interchange with him here. Dwight says, uh, no, no, let me start with Grant. He says, I do not believe so that you could have a funeral in a church building. It gets to the question of authority. Would it be a work of the church? I believe not. It would not fall in the area of evangelism, edification, or support of needy saints. If we have used the Lord's money to build a building, then it must be used for the work of the church. Grant says no. Well, to that, Robert says, I came from the Catholic faith where they believed that the building was a holy place. Even through uh, history, people felt it was a safe haven. I understand where Grant is coming from, but I think no scriptural, I think no scriptural backing that it is just a structure. We hold funerals and weddings at our building even today. So Robert brings up an interesting point. A lot of times it's it's weddings and funerals. And can you have weddings and funerals in the church building? I actually make a distinction on that. A wedding is a social event, typically. Uh, There's a preacher there and he may read a few scriptures, but typically it's pretty much a social event. And I, I feel very uncomfortable that that could be done in a church building for the sake of this. The church building is not provided for social events. A funeral, on the other hand, is a very religious, solemn occasion. What are we going to do at a funeral? Well, what we typically do is we sing congregational singing. We pray. We have a lesson from the word of God. The fact that there's a dead body in attendance doesn't really change the actions that are being done. To me, it's not it's not any different. What we do at, a, at, a, at a, I think, the, a funeral that's conducted the way it should be, obviously, we're not going to play country music. Uh, you know, that's become sadly too common in our area. People want to play all kind of rock music. Went to a funeral recently. They were playing ro- hard rock and roll music at the funeral. Heard lots of country music songs, uh, recorded music played at funerals. Obviously, we wouldn't do that in a church building. But if, if you're just going to sing some scriptural songs, pray and and deal with a bible lesson i think you could because it's not any different than what we always do yeah other church. than the fact you're honoring somebody it's not you're not honoring god in that you're honoring the person We're not necessarily honoring them uh, i mean it, it depends on what you uh, how celebration you of life i mean to me to me you're getting in fuzzy ground there it might be a little fuzzy i i, I personally don't i don't have a problem with it i certainly wouldn't want to violate anybody's conscience in the matter. i think that's probably why we've gotten away from it but i i personally don't see anything different in a funeral than a typical uh, assembly in a church building because even 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 with your objection about we're honoring an individual sometimes we do that in our sermons uh, we honor Bible characters, you know, when we preach about them or talk about their lives. Uh, they're dead people, by the way. You know, so, they are. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't yeah. have a big problem with funerals in church, but I do draw, I do draw a distinction between that and a wedding. And here, well, I mean, I, I, I do want to talk about Robert's uh, uh, comment, though. It is just a structure, and so that would make it okay. Well, Robert, it is just a structure. There's nothing. That nothing mysterious about it, but the right uh, the, the the pro-choice group is coming to your town, and they need a place to hold their rally, and they'd like to use your church building. 
is it just a structure then? Yeah. No, it's not, uh, because it was purchased for a purpose. Yeah. And uh, we could say it's holy in that sense. It's dedicated to a purpose. It's, it's, it's authorized. It, it has authorized. It, it's its existence is based upon the authority for which it is used. Okay. Here's a couple more comments. Uh, Brian says it is. If it's my funeral and my congregation, I would want it to be where the saints assembled. The service should be about hope for the Christian beyond this life. I can't think of a more appropriate place I th- for such a proclamation. I think Brian and I are really on the same page there. And Dwight says I haven't ever seen one, but can't say it would be wrong. What a good way to teach people regarding the life after death and informing people to get their life right with God. I may have to study this one more, though. Yeah. And then Brian asked a question, probably a little out there, but those in the Hadean realm awaiting judgment and not yet in the, hev- in, in the heavenly realm still have access to the Father through prayer is praying just for this life. Man, I don't know. I never even thought of that, Brian. Uh, uh, I, I would just have to say I don't know. I don't know that we could ha- know an answer to that question. But it won't be long till we find out. Yeah, that's right. All right. We're not going to get out of here alive, as they say. Yeah. All right, uh, Kyle. Yeah, it's a good study. I think it's a, It's always a necessary study, something to talk about death and dying and what we do when we die. and So it's good. It was a good study. Yeah, good. Uh, thank you for being here, Kyle. Yeah. Dad, thanks for a good discussion tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for our listeners for participating and being out on the other end of the line tonight. We want to hear from you at any time. Questions at collegeview.com. Hope you benefited from our study discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.